What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm going to tell you. It is absolutely, bar none, the best way for authors to make a living selling their books. Are you tired of feeling like you have to be on social media 50 hours a week just to sell a few books and then frustrated when that time doesn't actually lead to any book sales? Are you tired of hearing people say that you just have to be patient with the social media game for a long time so that you can build that following and that trust? Yeah, I was too, because there's only one of me, and ammo solves that problem. Now, here's the deal. It's a system that can actually guarantee results, and I'm not the one doing the guaranteeing, and I don't think that Steve Piper, who founded Ammo, would literally say that it's a guarantee, but what's a guarantee here is that when you spend advertising dollars in the right way, you get results and you're profitable. Okay, the concept here is if you spend a dollar and make two, you are profitable. And Ammo does that for its authors. I want you to check out the link in the show notes because this program has the ability to change your life. And hey, it's not for everyone. If you're a traditionally published author, it might not work for you because your margins will be too small to get profitable advertising on your own. That's something you'll have to take up with your publisher. But if you're self-published, if you're indie published, this thing could be great for you. If you have a few books out, especially if you're a series writer, this is a game changer. The whole podcast is now part of the Ammo family. So you'll notice every Wednesday, this show is Ammo Edition. But even on Mondays, you're listening to a show that exists because this author, this host of the podcast uses Ammo and makes money selling books. It's a beautiful feeling. I encourage you to check it out. I'm going to keep it short for you today. The interview surpasses anything that I could say to you in preparation. And I'm really excited to have one of the most successful authors in the ammo program speak to you. When I talk to an author who's as successful as my guest Gordon Carroll has been, you might think uh, those results are not typical. And if you've ever seen an infomercial, they always have the small print at the bottom of the screen that says these results are not typical. I think in this case, The results are a little more typical than you realize. There are a lot of authors in the ammo program who are making a full-time living on their books. So I'm excited to present the conversation to you, and I'm happy that I get to start out with somebody who is a cornerstone and a foundation of the program. Also really excited to bring you David and Lydia Scherer coming up here in just a week or two. And finally, Because this is still the TRBM podcast, I'd love for you to check out my books as well. They'll be at the very bottom of the page. I want to present you with everything else first. And then if you want to grab my books, I'll have a link there for you. Ebooks are the cheapest way to get all four in the beginning of my series, The Luke and Time Mysteries, or you can grab paperbacks if you wish. I'll have a deal for all of those. The only place you can get these deals is either through the podcast or Facebook advertising. So don't sleep on it. I'll give you a direct checkout link. Same with Gordon. His book deal will be a direct checkout link in the podcast. And finally, if you are not subscribed to the Substack for this podcast, 
you're missing more than 50% of the content that I provide weekly. There are pictures of things that we have in the conversation. Like today, I actually have an image of Shotgun Willies, so you can kind of see what we're talking about there, as well as Gordon's book covers. None of that stuff can come through on the show notes you find if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, anywhere else that I might meet you. So go ahead and click on the link to subscribe to the Substack for this podcast. That way you can read the show notes the way the show notes are intended to be read. If you're listening to the show, you're a writer, so you like reading things, this is going to be a great fit for you. Appreciate you and enjoy this conversation with Gordon Carroll. This is TRBM Ammo Edition. If you're a published author and you want to make a living writing books and selling them to avid readers, you've come to the right place. There's simply no program that's more successful at driving readers towards the books you've written. So the only thing you have to worry about is writing a great book, and the system within Ammo takes care of the rest. I probably first started writing short stories or attempting to write st- short stories when I was about 17 after I met my wife. Yeah, because she or uh, my future wife, we were we started to be when uh, when we were when I was 17 and she was 16. She's six months younger. But so that's my always my joke that uh, for six months out of here, I've got a younger wife. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, she was into writing. And so when she was doing it, I always loved reading books and things like that, especially like Conan the Barbarian and stuff like uh, that, yeah. Robert E. Howard. So because of her interest in it, I started trying to do it. And uh, I could never finish a story forever, you know, because you start mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And this is something I found for new writers a lot. What they'll want to do is um, they start a story, mm-hmm. all excited about it. Because have you have you done writing? Oh yeah, absolutely. I've got novels. I'm part of the ammo program. Is, is oh, okay. how, uh, awesome. Yeah, awesome. yeah. So you you know how it goes with writing. So what happens is when you first start, there's no rules. Yep. Everything is free. So you can just put whatever you want in there. But after just a short while in the story, you have now established rules. Mm-hmm. That if you're gonna be a good writer, you can do whatever you want as long as you stay within the rules that you have constructed, right? If mm-hmm. if there's a, a trans warp, then that's fine. But trans warp better stay within the rules of trans warp, right? Yeah. Otherwise, your readers are going to be, oh, that 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 doesn't make any sense. So after a while, you constrict yourself with the rules, and then it's work. It's still mm-hmm. fun, but it's also work. And because it's now work, I see, you know, I used to always go, well, forget that. I'll start this new story idea I've got because it sounds so cool to me. Yeah. And then I would start. So that's where I was lost for a long time when I started my writing journey. So that's yeah. that's what has oh, it wasn't until I finally, I think my wife sat me down and said, hey, you got to finish a story sometime. <laughs> yeah. It's fun to read, you know, uh, 1,500 words of your story, but then all of a sudden it ends. So it's I don't over. know what happens to it because you yeah. don't end it. So that's no fun for me. So <laughs> that's when I started disciplining myself and buckling down and getting to where I could finish short stories. So that's what I always tell writers when I'm talking or people who are buddies mm-hmm. of mine who want to get into the writing. And I always say, you know, start off with a short story. Just have mm-hmm. a beginning, a middle, and an end and get it done. And then you yeah. can go back and rewrite because, as we all know, there's no great writers. There's only great rewriters. 
<laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Uh, it's an interesting idea, too, because I came up through the MFA uh, crowd. I, I got my bachelor's in fine arts with fiction focus, then went on to get my master's. And so there was this huge focus on the short story. And I think because of that, for a long time, I was a deeply opposed to outlining because it felt like that was not artistic to outline a story. But also when you're dealing with something that maybe is going to reach about 5,000 words, that's a typical short story kind of length, maybe even shorter. You don't necessarily need to outline, but there's a lot that could be lost. I'm curious, do you outline at this point for the kind of books that you're writing? Um, and what are your thoughts on that coming from starting with short stories? Well, I'll tell you, I'm exactly where you are on that. When I first started, no outlines. In fact, I I thought if you outlined, uh, you weren't a real writer yeah. because it's the art. It's the yeah. getting into it. And, and I want to see what's going to happen next. And I want the excitement. So to me, it was like, no. And then um, I kept reading. I would do panels and stuff like that, you know, because of being in the canine world, being a, a deputy sheriff. <clears throat> and a writer, I would go to these conferences and they would have me on the panels to answer police questions and canine questions and things like that. And I started seeing from all these writers about how, boy, if you outlined, it's just so much easier. And I'd be like, man, nah, snobby, you know, no. At yeah. first. And then I outlined my first book mm -hmm. and it took me like one third of the time. To <laughs> yeah. And I had just as much fun. In fact, I'm not even going to say that. I had more fun. Mm. because it was so much easier and it's still you have that excitement and that artistic yeah. process so i outline all the time now yeah and that's i i preach it i i absolutely go with it but i was right where you were at the beginning too i did the same exact thing it was like no yeah. no you don't need to outline so yes yeah. i outline all the time now yeah you know what i will say and and people who listen to this podcast <laughs> know a little bit of this process for me but um i i I'm fairly new to the outlining world, but what you just said struck me so much because I found that I had more fun after I outlined. So the first book in my series, uh, The Luke and Time Mysteries, it took me five years from the time that I started it until it was finished. And then three years of shopping it with a literary agent before I decided I've got to do something different, uh, which took me to self-publishing. And when I did, I was really curious, where in the world do you go to sell books? How do you actually sell a book? Because I've, I've had a podcast about selling books for a while, but I've not actually done it myself. And that feels, I don't know, something's wrong there. And, and I was looking around and I found Steve and I found Ammo and I dove into it and I realized pretty quickly, you need to have more than a book out there in order to do things. And so I've got to get books out efficiently, quickly, and they've got to be really good. So I have to turn this into a mechanized, almost like an assembly line process in every way that I can. And it was exciting to write the second book in about three months and have an editor ready for it as soon as I was finished with that draft after the outline and just start working through it from beginning to end in five months. And you're just like, wait a second, five months. It took me five years to write that last one. So, exactly. yeah, that that and I loved every moment of writing it, too. I would feel so purposeful going to the the, the page. There was no anxiety about where am I going to take this or how many huge plot holes there's going to be. Um, <laughs> you know, so that's really nice. You've written a lot in your canine series um, with the sheepdogs, and I have not had the opportunity to read you yet. But talk to me a little bit about I know that that comes from your your background in law enforcement and different areas. Uh Where's the love and how do you keep the passion going after so many books? Nine, I think, right? Uh, I've just finished book eight. Okay. And, and I'm getting ready to start book nine, but I'm doing my rewrite on book eight right now. So I typically will get the first uh, draft completely done 
And then I immediately go into a rewrite. Um, I used to let it set for like a month or two, but mm -hmm. I'm 100% on board where you are, where no, now I need to make myself work. That that was kind of a yeah. luxury to do when I wasn't selling books. But now I have fans pestering me constantly. <laughs> and it, it's good pestering. Yeah. Because it keeps me honest and it keeps me working to where I don't just start goofing off. Because I... Mm -hmm. I will goof off when, you know, you know how it is, you know, like, yes, I hate mowing the lawn, but when I get ready to go in and write, or pick up the trash or take out the trash or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. because it is much fun as it is. I know, you know, this just, just as well, but as much fun as it is to get behind it, see what happens next. Cause even though I have it outlined, you you don't know exactly what's going to happen and cool things happen yeah. while you're writing. So for me, it's like a movie unfolding in front of me and mm -hmm. I love that. So, but I would rather go sit on the couch and eat bonbons, you know, I mean, it's just, easy. <laughs> yeah. so that's just it. So you have to make yourself go do it. Mm -hmm. um, but before I get into the sheepdogs thing, can I real quick just go into how my process happened with ammo? Yeah, please do. I would love to hear it. So uh, I really started trying to, published my books, um, the first book in the Sheepdog series, and I only had one. I had another book written called uh, Gunwood USA, which uh, I yep. sell also now with my bundle, and you know about the bundles. And so that's part of C. Piper's uh, marketing plan, which is brilliant. Um, <clears throat> so I had Gunwood USA done, and then I had done a horror novel called Bone Hill, so I was kind of like all over the place. And then I went to... Um, uh, sheepdogs the first dog in the sheepdog series mm -hmm. or the first book in the sheepdog series so uh what happened was i started trying to put out first uh bone hill and gunwood and i was still kind of working on sheepdogs and i would do these conventions and like i said i because i was involved with police work and canine i would uh, be on the panels and i'd get to answer questions talk about my book and i was just uh first i was trying to get a agent and finally, mm -hmm. at one of those panels, I got an agent. And so we started trying to market sheepdogs first, first one, because she liked that yeah. idea best. Let's go with that. So uh, we did, and we got it in front of some pretty big publishers, and they were very interested, but they were like hung up on my part where my dogs, it's from my dog's perspective. Because uh, one third of the book is from the dog's perspective. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, you know, the dog can talk or anything like that. And mm -hmm. because of my canine experience, I try to related as close as I can to what the canine thought process is. Of course, I can't really get into a dog's head, but sure. I see how they act all the time. So I've got, you know, 35 years of experience with that. Mm -hmm. So I put it in those terms. And that's what readers tend to really, really like about the books. They, yeah. you know, they don't like Gil Mason character, which is, you know, kind of like a cross between maybe Reacher and um, trying to think of who else maybe Reacher and Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> but then, but he's, he's, he's a tough guy, but he's quirky. He's kind of funny. He's got some real tragedy in his past, but the dog Max is a stone cold killer, <laughs> but he has no reasons for that. So the two together, they, they kind of butt heads. Mm -hmm. So it's a working out process. The handler's trying to figure the and the trainer, he's trying to figure out the best way to get this dog motivated to do what he needs him to do. The dog is trying to take over the pack. And that yeah. really comes from the experience of mine with my first dog, which we can get into later. But yeah. I actually had a dog that was rank, and he really did. Every six months, he would try to kill me and take over the pack, wow. which wasn't fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I imagine. I just said yeah, that, yeah, that, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah, but that's what gave me the inspiration for Max. 
But in any case, I went with this agent. She was a pretty high profile agent, pretty well known. She took me on after she heard about Sheepdogs. And she put it up in front of a lot of different publishers. Mm -hmm. Had some real good uh, tugs on the string, but they were hung up on the dog's perspective. So I completely rewrote the book without the oh, dog's wow. perspective. Yeah. And then uh, it didn't do as well. So yeah. I rewrote it again, put the dog's perspective back, but from like uh, first person instead of, or I think, yeah, from first person instead of third person. Mm -hmm. Then she had me read it again from third person to first, first person. Oh this, this thing took, well, you know how it is. Yeah. It, that took a period of about three years. Mm -hmm. So three years of time wasted, yeah. wasted, really. Mm -hmm. And finally at the end, she said, you know, I, I just don't, I don't think we're going to make it with this book. So uh, you might want to go uh, independent. And I was oh, like, wow. No. Independent writing is for losers. If if it's not published from a real publisher, then you're just spinning your wheels. You're just you're just doing it for your self glory. You know nobody uh, appreciates it. So I was kind of in that mindset, you know. And I had a, a writing buddy of mine that worked with me at the sheriff's office. We worked together for over uh, thirty years, and he's he's a writer also. So we would go back and forth. And he's like, yeah, that, that independent writing, you know, that's, that's for people who can't make it in the real publishing, you know, and yeah. we had both been published in magazines in several mm -hmm. magazines. So we kind of had that little bit of that snobby attitude, you know, mm -hmm. absolutely. And, and Amazon was just coming out and then, you know, people were really talking about how they could, you know, get self-published there. And I was like, no, no, that's, that's mm -hmm. not, I'm going to make it with the real publishers. I had an agent, you know? Yeah all while working a full-time job and uh, over time and, you know, raising a family with, you know, four kids and everything else. So it got to a point after the failure with the agent that I started to think, well, maybe it is me. Maybe I'm really not, you know, cut out for the writing gig just because mm -hmm. I like it. And a few other friends and family, they like it. That doesn't mean it's any good, you know? Yeah. And if the publishers aren't taking it, then maybe it's not. Uh, our stories are closer, I think, than you realize, even up down to that. I had an agent and for three years, we rewrote this book in every conceivable way uh, exactly. until I'm on a phone call with her. And, and she says, she says to me, like um, I, I said, I kind of am feeling like I need to do something else because we're not, we're not getting anywhere. And I, I'm, I'm considering that maybe we want to part ways, but that's a really hard decision. And she said, well, you don't have to, you don't have to fire me on the phone. And as soon as she said it, I knew immediately that a coward is going to walk out of this conversation and email later. And so I said, no, I, I do have to. You're fired. I can't do this anymore. And it was a great day and also one of the most humiliating days of my life. I never I've never been traditionally published uh, like you. I've been in magazines, but never, never made it to the hallowed halls of FSG or exactly. Brown, you know, gosh. So anyways, carry on. <laughs> But yeah, it sounds like we're almost in Patico there, you know? Yeah. Wait a minute, what was your agent's name? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We may have had the same agent. Now, I, I will say this too. Uh, I don't think it was through any fault of hers. She yeah. was, and she really worked. And I was a little bit bitter, I have to say at first, after mm -hmm. so much time invested and in all the work. Yeah. And I mean, the instant she told me she wanted me to rewrite or do something, I went to work and I mean, I worked night and day until what she wanted done was that, you know, how much difficult, I mean, how difficult it is yeah. to rewrite an entire book. And some of you poured your heart and soul into, you know, yeah. <clears throat> so that by the end, it, it was looking like total mud to me. I could not, I, mm. it, it's kind of like doing a painting too much. Mm. I had no idea if it was any good at all anymore because you mm -hmm. just couldn't tell. 
But uh, when she did, and she, you, you fired yours, but she fired me kind of, she did it in a really nice way. Like, I just don't think we're going to get anywhere. <laughs> yeah. You might want to self-publish. So yeah. and like, it's not you, it's me, but it's me. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when she did that, I was a little bit bitter because I have worked mm-hmm. so hard. I've done everything asked and everything else. Yeah. So I was a little put off by it, but I have to say that I'm so glad she did mm-hmm. uh, because it did cut me free. And I, I was a little you know, kind of like, oh, well, maybe this just isn't for me. But I decided to go ahead and try the indie deal. And yeah. I got uh, another guy I know from another acquaintance that does independent publishing. Okay. And so I put it up on Amazon. And it wasn't uh, uh, Sheepdogs. I put Gunwood USA up. Okay. So let's do, make sure that I'm completely tracking. So Sheepdog is the one that you're working on with the agent. Gunwood USA right. you have from somewhere else. And you decided to hold off on Sheepdog Um and and go with Gunwood USA as your first self-published book. Exactly. Uh, okay, perfect. And then as far as, can I just ask, is your thought process with Sheepdog, like maybe there's still a future in uh, like a, a, a traditional publishing house for that series? Is that why you held off? No, I actually okay. held off because I thought if, first off, I'd rewritten it so many times that I you couldn't just didn't know. do it anymore. Yep. Gunwood, I had um, done on its own and it's it was not for a series necessarily i thought maybe mm-hmm. i could do three books out of it sheepdogs i was actually thinking series and so yeah. i thought it could be junk because obviously no publisher wants it even though we had all this talk mm-hmm. nobody accepted it so i just figured it was dead mm. so i went with gunwood so in gunwood is about uh when i first started in law enforcement after i got out of the marine corps i started in a small town here you know glendale glendale yeah. colorado yeah, yep. so it, its big reputation has had more bars, strip clubs, and gambling <laughs> than any place in the entire state. Okay, and actually in the entire country per capita, because it's only one point four square miles. Mm-hmm. So per capita, it had more of those than any place else. <laughs> Doctor Feel Goods and uh, just just all these places. Yeah. Okay? So I did, uh, and I worked there for a year um, before we parted ways, and it mm-hmm. wasn't really. It was kind of like with the agent. The, uh, the two yeah. couples said, we're not sure you're going to fit in here, okay? And I was interested <laughs> because, you know, I have my family and everything else. And I all of my reviews and everything were good. But it turned out that uh, back then there was a lot of corruption going on mm-hmm. in that small city that was kind of undercover. So one of the lieutenants called me and said, hey, look, I'm just going to tell you this, okay? You, you can make it as a cop, uh, obviously, he said, but not here. Okay, so you may I, I've got word in with Arapahoe County, so you can go to Arapahoe County, and I wow. they'll, they'll take you on. And sure enough, they took me on immediately. Okay, wow. and within the next year, five of the people I worked with, including my sergeant, were all in our jail. Oh <laughs> no, they're all arrested. Wow. One of them, the sergeant, and I use him as a character in the book, but I change him up a little bit. Yeah, He's a vigilante clubber in Gunwood, USA, but. He was doing armed robberies for three years. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, but nobody knew, you know. So it, yeah. it wasn't until our deputies caught up to him in the midst of an armed robbery. And he tried to do a carjacking to get away. And when he pulled this woman out of the car, she, as she came out of the car, she grabbed his ski mask and pulled it off. Oh, and my God. We're like, and they said his name. I'm not going to say his name. But they said his yeah. name. And he's like, jumps in the car, drives, takes off. Oh, so my gosh. They go to his house. And he's sitting at home drinking a beer, watching watching tv like nothing happened 
<laughs> so it's one of the characters in my book, and and then the whole the whole book is centered around my my wow. year, a little bit over a year in uh, in Glendale, but it's called Gunwood USA, of course. So so when you read the book, you'll recognize sounds like I don't you know Shotgun Willies. You've heard of that? Place yes, that, absolutely. But, but, looks you know, looks like I, Yosemite Sam. The logo almost looks exactly. like Yosemite Sam. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> So in the book, I, I make it uh, elephant guns. Everything in the city is named after some kind of gun uh, or yeah. something to do with guns. So that, that's, I mean, that's, that's the great. way I do it in the book. So it's just fun. Yeah. Um, but in any case, I went ahead and I self-published that through this friend of mine who had a public, small independent publishing company. And it did great on Amazon for a couple of weeks. I think we mm -hmm. got, I mean, great compared to what most authors' results are. I, I think I sold a total of about 500 books. Yeah. And pretty fast. Nice. That's all my friends and family and a couple of onlookers, right? Yeah. So I always, what I like to say is the hard part about self-publishing is breaking out of the friends and family. Yes. Because once you've exhausted everybody you know, how do you get, when there's 20 million books out there, Yeah. how do you get yours to stand out? Yep. And I had no clue. I, I just, I had no clue. It made me feel really good at first. And, you know, in the comment sections where you're talking to people, and they'll say stuff like, you know, well, uh, you know, why are you in here? If you've already sold 300 books this quickly, then you don't need to be in here talking to us. You need to, you need to tell us, you know, which I had no clue. I didn't know what to tell yeah. them. Um, so I got a little, you know, oh, okay, good. But then it just mm -hmm. like died completely. So, which I think is a lot of authors experiences. Yeah. So actually after that, I kind of, um, I said, well, I'll keep writing, but I'm done with publishing for a while. I'm just mm -hmm. going to uh, plus, work was getting really busy. We we really amped up the the canine program. We got more dogs. So I was so busy at work that I was like, okay, I'll write uh, when I can, but I'm not going to worry about the publishing at all. And that went all the way up until I was really close to retiring. I was getting close. I was uh, just wow. about to hit sixty, um, and I'm sixty four now. Uh, but I was just about to hit sixty, and it was getting hard to get my walker over fences going up the dog. <laughs> Plus, canine is uh, is pretty strenuous on your body just because you're always yeah. you're, it's the funnest job in police work, but mm -hmm. it is physically taxing. So I started thinking, oh, if I'm going to retire, what am I going to do? I don't want to be a security guard. I don't want to work at uh, you know Lowe's or Home Depot. You yeah. know, like a lot of cops when they retire, they get a second job. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to write. So yeah. right when I was thinking about making that decision. That's when I saw Steve's ammo ad on Facebook. And it was like, it was right there. And I was like, yeah, nah, well, it's just one of these Facebook ads, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna mess with that. And of course, Steve doesn't mm -hmm. tell you how much it costs or anything. You know, he just right. he gives you the lead up and he goes, Hey, but I can do this for you. And he seemed very confident. And I liked that authority of the confidence he had. Yeah. And he seemed very down to earth. And I thought, well, it's probably a bunch of garbage, but I'll go mm -hmm. ahead. And this was in 20, it was either late 2018 or beginning early 2019. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like about 19 based on you know, the timeline that you've built. Right. Well, I actually lollygagged at the beginning. Okay. And I sure wish I hadn't because, yeah. uh, but I was just too busy at work and, and I made a lot of excuses, so whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but I shouldn't have because um, I, I, you know, you, you signed up for the program. Steve has a personal one-on-one -on -one with you through a Zoom and, and Steve actually lives here in Colorado, so I yep. shouldn't come to his house. I, I could have found it because I was caught. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But because Steve was in the Air Force, he might have uh, bombed my house. So I decided not to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so in any case, uh, we did our Zoom and uh, he was very straightforward with me and very, mm -hmm. very uh, honest and, and uh, you know, just really, I mean, I, I got to check him out as large as Emmerich and everything else yeah. and all of his books. And so then I was much more impressed because you know how it is when you're, you know, Yes. You talk the talk, but if you can't walk the walk, then exactly. You know, yeah, so, Ex exactly what I was saying earlier on is that like I'm I'm hosting a podcast on marketing, and I do I have a lot of people who tell me from the early days when the show was called the Reluctant Book Marketer that uh, that I was helpful to them that they've they've sold more books because of the things that I taught the principles and the mindset that I taught. At the same time, it really did come to this moment. It was like until I've sold tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of books, I really can't keep doing this the same way that I've been doing it. So now it's more, much more like, hey, uh, let me talk to an expert. Let me hear from you how you've done it and then pass that on to the, the crowd. So I think that that's a much better fit. Well, and what a way to help people too that way, because yeah. you really are giving them the benefit of the experience that you've gone through and what experts are going through. So yeah. I, I think it's a great it's a great idea. But so after I talked to Steve, um, and we had our Zoom. Uh, he said, well, what are you looking? You know, Steve always asks, why Why do you want to do this? Because mm -hmm. it's." he said, let me tell you right up front. You're getting ready to retire. You've had, you know, a good career, apparently. So why do you now want to do this where you're selling books instead of just writing them for fun? Yeah. And, and the, the one problem I always had with writing books on my own that got to mainly a couple of people, you know, or, you know, 500 people really is pretty few even yeah. in your my heyday on amazon okay yeah um and after a while you know it takes time away from your family and yes. my family is everything to me okay so we have 18 grandkids now so it's like you know my family is is it so yeah uh i you want that enjoyment of other people being able to enjoy your books and being able to get entertained from it just like you know i i feel a lot of gratitude when i watch a really good movie or i read a really good book I feel a lot of gratitude towards the person who created it because they gave mm -hmm. me a lot of entertainment for nothing. I mean, for a couple bucks, you know? Yeah. yeah. So I really do feel gratitude towards it. I'm I'm thankful to them for having mm. taken that work ethic and done that and letting me read it and experience it and be part of it because I love it. I mean, you yeah. a great book, you know, you know, when you read a great book, you're just like, wow. And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not the great American author, but I have fun. Sure, yeah. That's what I try to do. I try to just deliver entertainment to people because that's what mm -hmm. I see. I message sometimes, but very interwoven and not, I never like to be preachy. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, or almost never. <laughs> I try not yeah. to. I, I once in a while, you'll have people come back. You know, yeah. Okay. You but, can't make uh, everybody happy. Right. You can't make everybody happy. But so, um, so the idea I had at that point was, I do want to do this, but if I'm, if I was doing it just for me and like, you know, a couple of hundred people, mm -hmm. it's sort of self-indulgent. I'm taking all this time away from my family. I'm well, not I'm, making yeah. money at it. So it's really just self-indulgent at that point. Well, I enjoy yeah. it and I'm, you know, getting a little bit of recognition for it. So it's self-indulgent. It's not, it's not helping mm -hmm. my family. It's not benefiting them or very many other people. So I felt yeah. kind of guilty about that. And Steve really hit that point. He said, why do you want to do it? And mm -hmm. I said, well, you know, I want to be able to supplement my income when I retire because I I am going to be taking you know, about a $30,000 pay cut from no overtime and also yeah. just to get less for retirement and stuff like that. I said, so, you know, I want to be able to make up that income. So it's at least beneficial enough for me to take the time away from my family to do it. Mm -hmm. And 
I really want to entertain people. I enjoy yeah. when people get pleasure. And I kind of explained it just like I did to you. And he said, okay, so how much money do you need to make from it? And I said, mm. probably, yeah, I don't know, 30 to 36,000 would be sufficient. And then that'll be fine for my retirement, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I'll probably die in three years and because the average lifespan for a cop when he retires is six months. You know, I, uh, I've heard that. And I also, yeah. I just read Stephen King's Mr. Mercedes. And that was the first time I think I was really directly confronted with that idea of like out of the force and suddenly uh, suicide rates jump um, yes. and, and just like career, you know, you just, just like no purpose anymore. You had this high purpose of keeping people safe uh, and the action and the adventure. And then now you're sitting on a couch watching Jeopardy and you're just like, life sucks. It's absolutely true. And I, I've seen it a lot, you know, in the profession, obviously. And it's yeah. uh, it's not just suicide. It's all kinds of other things too. But suicide's super high. And it's just like it is for uh, people coming back from war because let's see when they're in a war, they have the brotherhood, they have real purpose. And so when all of that is suddenly taken away, it's difficult. And a lot of times for police officers, that is their identity. Yeah. So um, if you can try to not make that just your identity, mm -hmm. it's, it's like family. Family is huge. If you're really big on your family or if you have other ways. So that's the kind of things. But writing also helps because yeah. it, there's a purpose there. And it's kind of like, what and I love Mr. Mercedes. Stephen King, yeah. one of my all-time favorite authors. Um, uh, yeah. In fact, I think I've read his book on writing probably 15 times, you know, because it's, it's just, phenomenal. it's a masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. It, it yeah. is a masterpiece. It's the last book I read before I got married. Um, and it's just, a, yeah, he's, he's a brilliant, brilliant author. He is a brilliant, brilliant. In fact, even his books that I, I think his later books are, are not always as good because of the mm -hmm. endings, I find them to not be as good. And here I am criticizing Stephen King. Yeah. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let me put that aside for a second. Cause we mm -hmm. all have to look at it. Um, but it doesn't matter. Any book of his you pick up is yeah. a writing class. It's like taking a college course. Yes. So you can learn something from every napkin he scrawled on or piece of toilet paper. That mm -hmm. That's just it. Because he is so good. Yeah. Probably being like Shakespeare doing it. But anyways, um, yeah. so I talked to Stephen he, and I said, well, probably thirty to $36,000. And so he thought about it for a second. He goes, I, we, I can do that for you. That's <laughs> I thought that was interesting that you said it like that. He goes, yeah, you'll put in the work. I can almost guarantee you that you'll get at least that much. He goes, I think you'll do more than that, but yeah. I will guarantee, I will, I will almost guarantee. He goes, I can't guarantee you because yeah. so much of it depends on you putting in the work. He said, but if you do decide to take, to do this course, I'll take you on because he doesn't take everybody on. Yeah. Um, and he said, you can get, you can do at least that much. So I yeah. said, hmm, okay. So did it. And then, what did I do for the next six or seven months? Nothing. <laughs> Make <laughs> yeah. money. But we were so busy working everything else. Right. So yeah. then I, I was in that other category where I did nothing. I think it was because I was afraid mm -hmm. that if it didn't work, I was dead. You had nothing left. Right. What what would I do after that? I think yeah. in, in honesty, that's what I really looking back on it. I think that that's more what it was. Yeah. Also incredibly busy getting ready for retirement, but you know, I still had a couple of years before retirement. So, yeah. uh, but in 2019, I told my wife, I said, Hey, we're at the end of 2019. I said, Hey, we're really close. This stuff is mind boggling to me. When I started looking through it, I said, um, and she's much more technically oriented than I am. Cause I'm just a grunt. Yeah. So uh, uh, be, be tight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my wife is uh, smart. And uh, so I, I said, can you, you know, can we work on this together? So she did. And we sat down and we, 
just melted our minds until we got it done. And I will tell everybody, Bramwell, well, I think you know, unless you're you're probably more of a tech guy, so it might have been easier for you. But it was work. I mean, yeah, setting up the stores, figuring out, you know, even though he takes you step by step, and even and the new course is even way better than the old course, but he yeah. takes you step by step on how to do everything that we do, yes. the bundle process, the amount of books. Uh, luckily, I'd finished a second book in the Sheepdog series at that time. And so I went ahead and I just raced through while we were doing that. I got my third book done. Yeah. And it made me, that's, I think if I remember correctly. Yeah. The third book uh, was the fastest book I had ever done. And it was because wow. I, out, and that's what really got me into that. I was like, I, cause I, I was thinking, you know, I've got to do something to the, the people at the conferences, that, you know, I'd listen to, plus I had to get it done in time to get this bundle ready mm-hmm. so and i that's what i do is i bundle my first three in the series plus gunwood usa together that's what yeah. i that's what i do with my 999 bundle bundle so i i hurried through and got uh barrel in oh, go ahead ahead yeah so the one question i want to ask is um you talked about the 999 bundle i'm curious how many books do you have because people who are listening to this show uh every wednesday right now this is trbm ammo edition and so people listening are i think getting into the mindset of maybe this is something i want to buy and this is a different way that they're going to think it through so there's there's different ways to approach this process but the bundle is what makes it so successful how many books do you have in at 999 right now I have four. I have okay. the first three in the Sheepdog series. So you have uh, Sheepdogs, you have Hair of the Dog, and you have Feral Instinct. Okay. So those three. And then I have Gunwood USA, my one from Glendale. I have it as a fourth because those characters from Gunwood, the ones who make it, they <laughs> play, they come into play because it's all in Colorado. Yeah. So they come into play and they interact with Gil and the dogs. That's in so different much fun. Areas, which is a lot of fun, right? It's, it's yeah. uh, we, all, we all steal from... You know, the authors we love, we'll say mm-hmm. more. No, we steal yeah. from the authors we love. And uh, uh, Stephen King has his universe, right? Yes. And I think he was one of the first to really incorporate kind of the entire universal idea that he does. Yeah. I could be wrong. It could be that there's others. But he definitely um, really put it together. All kinds of books from very different yes. genres and everything else. And yet they can all play a part in his universe. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do kind of the same thing, thing. Uh, yeah. most of my, all of my books, I've got 10 books in total right now, including my horror novel. I've got another horror novel. I finished my wife's editing it now. Um, taking her a little while to edit it because um, I need a lot of editing. Yeah. <laughs> so I do a rewrite. And I think on the, on the, this, this new one called Abaddon that she's working on right now, I've done about four rewrites. It's another horror novel. So I want to get one more and then I'm going to do a bundle on that too. Totally separate right now. It's just my, my uh, mystery readers that read my, my horror novel for the most part. And they're, it's just because it's there and they, they like yeah. my stuff. So they'll read it, but it's a little too, it's a little too scary for a lot of my readers, a little too yeah. horror. Genre, okay so it doesn't always mix the best with my other stuff yeah so i do just those three and then gunwood and um that's my my 999 bundle and then of course now you know that we do a lot of the direct sales so uh i'm getting ready now that i've got book seven and and i'm just finished book eight as soon as book eight is done we're going to do a, another bundle i believe that's our mark my bro- my son's now in charge of all my marketing Mm-hmm. So I don't have to do all the ads and everything anymore. I just let him do it. Uh, all of my kids You're are lucky you know, duck. <laughs> I know I am super lucky, except for sometimes I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Don't we have to do this and this? And he's like, no, that's, that's not the way we do that anymore. <laughs> okay. okay, fine. Let me go right. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. 
that's, that's fantastic. Great. That's what we want to do. So he does that. My daughter does all my covers. And wow, that's I, great. I get she's a fantastic artist. So I get mm-hmm. tons of praise. In fact, that's probably what sells a lot of my books right there is my covers. And yeah. uh, the, the cover for the first one in the in the Sheepdog series is is particularly striking. I've I've looked over all of the covers, and the, the first one you've got that really stark white uh background with the dog but then there's there's a whole graphic inside of the dog sort of it's not howling at the moon but kind of looking up um that graphic really captured me and i will be honest i looked at it immediately and i think i i knew uh the same way that i know with my my covers that somebody in-house did it for you it looks really great but it doesn't have exactly the kind of uh typeset that you would see in some other books and and i did that and i I've had existential crisis about my book covers sometimes because I'm like, what's not working? Because I'm not where you're at uh, in, in ammo. I was profitable for about a month and starting to scale. And then I scaled to a point and suddenly it's like the bottom fell out. And I can't, I, I haven't been able to figure it out for the last, like since the holiday, basically. Um, and that's neither here nor there. But throughout this process, I keep trying to look and say like, why am I failing? Where am I failing? How am I failing? Because I know this thing works and I'll get a taste of how well it works when it works. And then back to the drawing board, like, what do I need to tweak? What messaging needs to change? How do I need to like arrange all the words? And there was a point where I was looking at my covers. My wife has a, a degree in, in art and graphic design. And so she's great. But yeah, typeset's not exactly what you're used to seeing. And I think there are a few people out there who catch it and notice it. And the fun thing, and the whole reason I'm going on this long monologue here is to say that I changed the covers. I spent money to get covers done from a professional cover designer. And then I took it out to my my very large Twitter following and said, hey, I love your feedback. What are you seeing here? And side by side, there was not a single person who voted for the paid cover. Everybody was like, well, if I can be honest, I like that that red silhouette cover. It's so eye-catching and I, so i was like okay i'm going back to my wife and i, I, told her, I was like i will never not trust you again <laughs> well, let, let me bring up one thing to you about the scale issue yeah because i have run into that too now every year so far since i started ammo i've at least done six figures i mean i've done six figures and, and, and better but and that's when you're paying all the money into the system you're pulling six figures out uh not always i could be a little bit under there at times but, but still but right there right yeah uh, and I will tell you that I am absolutely not the best. I mean, if it wasn't for the ammo system, that would never have happened. I know that yeah, because I tried, too, I tried it every other way there is and it didn't happen. And so it's not just that I have a, a great series because it doesn't matter if you have a great series, if nobody can see it and know it and get it out there. Okay. Steve brings this up and it's true. You could have word of mouth that says uh, it's like hitting the lottery, right? Where it just becomes this, it's kind of like something going viral, you know, on the on the TikTok or something. It can happen, but it's rare and it's like hitting the lottery. So that could happen, but I'm going to say that it usually it vastly doesn't. Mm-hmm. Doing a, a stain correct marketing system is what does it. Now, I am still not great because I just want to spend so much time writing and I need to devote more time to marketing because right now the only two places I'm really at is ammo with my direct sales on yeah. Facebook and Amazon. And I have not, I've never paid one cent to Amazon for mm-hmm. marketing. They just do it. And the more success you have, the more Amazon goes ahead and promotes you on their own. Yeah. And also because regardless, more- if your book sells, they're making money. So they don't care if they're actually putting, oh. you know, their marketing behind right. it or not. 
Right, because they they will make some money on everyone. In fact, they make a lot. A good amount of money, money. exactly. Yeah, yeah. two-thirds of everything you sell. And mm-hmm. uh, I just saw uh, Amazon just sent a thing out saying that they're going to be um, taking more of our profits away on yep. the print because it's costing them more. It's probably true. Yep. That still doesn't matter. It still hurts us, you know, yeah. so it, it is difficult. So uh, so if it wasn't for the ammo program, I, I wouldn't have had success like I have at all. Yeah. So, uh, but I need to get into, you know, Barnes and Noble and uh, yeah. book club and, you know, all these other things. And so yeah. my son is beginning to work on that now because really it's just those two things. That's what I've had all my success from. And especially when we moved over, you know, we started off and it did great, especially in 20 and part of 21, we did great with um, um, COVID and everything else hitting. I, I hate for that to be something that it helped, but it really did. I think people were inside so much. They read so much more. And the 999 book uh, bundle did great with the free book going out and then the getting the other two books plus Gunwood for that you know cheap price. That was yeah. a great market. And, and I still use it to bring in new customers. But when we moved up to like our $27 for three or four books for our other stack with no free book, holy cats, that just, it, it was just at a certain time because Stephen tried it before and it hadn't worked very well. Yeah. And then we tried it again and it did fantastic. Oh, I, I know what I was bringing up and I wanted to hit onto you real quick is the scalability. Yep. It seems like you hit different plateaus with um, with Facebook. Yeah. And when you hit a certain plateau, like right at the $300 mark or right around the $300 mark a day mm-hmm. in, in uh, cost, we always would dive. Mm. And we, I still have a hard time getting over that. Yeah. And when you dive, you know, when you're spending, you know, $300 a day yeah. in advertising, yeah. you don't have to dive for very long before it cuts into your, yeah, you know, absolutely. Your, right? Yeah. So that's where it gets painful. So we still strive to be able to break through that because I'd like to be able to spend a thousand dollars a day on that. Absolutely. We're making our revenue back and getting, you know, everything. I would love to do that. Yeah. But I don't know what it is about the algorithm or what, because there's nothing different we're doing. Right. Right. Yeah. We're not changing our ads. We're not, we're not uh, changing our books. It's Mm -hmm. just something to do with their algorithm when it gets close to that 300. It's just like, you know, with Steve, how he talks about it. He tells you the right way to to advance your, you don't just put an extra $100 into the advertising market because for some reason that crashes your system. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why right at $300 is hard. I've been really tempted to to say, okay, for a week, we're going to push through and we're going to go to $350. Yep. But that's easy to say, a little harder to do. And I don't know that it's- a good it's a good method or not and steve hasn't you know he doesn't say yeah that's the right way to do it and i i listen to steve because he knows a lot more about it than i do Uh, one other thing i do want to say in favor of ammo just for anybody who's thinking about it and it's this steve uh okay when i joined him i thought you know a lot of these things once you get in there's all these other things you have to buy and everything else never had to buy another thing i did take the ultra 360 course just because such talented authors in there and uh, that was a couple thousand bucks so well spent money. I mean, it was so awesome, you know, but that, and that's the only kind of Steve. I mean, that's Steve, but you know, it's, you know, it's it's a drop in the bucket to him. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course it's fantastic. So, but other than that, I have not spent another cent going to ammo. I mean, going to Steve or any of that. And and you know how it is. Steve does meetings with us every week. Yeah. 
I mean, you can't buy that kind of for yeah. for the. I mean, you know, there, it, it's a little bit of a high ticket price to get into ammo. And I think now with the new system, yeah. you can get that much smaller. But when we first started, it was a set price. And it's it was steep when you're getting ready to retire and you're not, you know, it, it, but it's not that steep. And I made it yeah. back in like two months, yeah. you know, just doing my books. I made it back in, in really under two months. So it was like, uh, but he doesn't charge anything else. He meets with us every week. We have our big author meeting, you know, by the way, how yeah. come I haven't seen you? Are you usually in the, I'm still, I'm still in the, uh, the foundations call because I've never had a sustainable level of, of profitability where I go to the, the scaling call. Um, how do you do on uh, KDP? Still not well. Uh, KDP is still a different thing. So I, I just kind of mess with my pricing a little bit to see if I can help out because I was I was where you were charging nine ninety nine for eBooks um, because that was very representative. In fact, we're we're roughly the same genre, both detective suspense type oh, okay. of. Thing. Okay, I'm diving um, into you right after we get off this call. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just haven't quite hit it yet, and uh, it's. I love the program. So a little bit about about me, and then I want to make sure that we finish strong with all of of your great stuff. But um, I tried uh, different ways to skin the cat. I started the podcast hoping to build that word of mouth thing. So really, it was about I want to have a community. And I know that along with this community, I'll be able to sell my books and things like that. That didn't quite work out the way I thought. And then I spent all this time building a podcast and less time writing. So I had to write that ship. Uh, And then I joined... um, Russell Brunson's uh, thing. He was doing a funnel hacker thing that I thought that would be great. Uh, And there was a money back guarantee. And I was at the point where I had tried two other programs between there and the the podcasting program that I did. I'd spent five figures, middle five figures for different courses with no success. So when I saw Steve, I wrote him an email uh, and I said, I've looked at a lot of stuff and yours looks real to me, but I'm like really gun shy right now. So Mm -hmm. I sent him probably, uh, I don't know, a thousand word email telling him exactly my situation. And I was like, you say there's a money back guarantee. So I'm going to join this program unless you tell me not to. Um, but trust me, I'll ask for my money back if it doesn't work. His literal reply to me to this day, it still stings in the best possible ways. He's like, I see no red flags here. Go ahead and sign up. <laughs> That's all he said. <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> he's a robot. He has no emotion. <laughs> So anyways, but yeah, it's been, it's been great. I have not had um, the success that I think some of my peers have, uh, but I do know I'm on the right path. And like I said, seeing those moments of, of this is how it works and this is what's possible to be an author who doesn't have to be in bookstores like Gordon Carroll, who doesn't have to worry about going and doing readings, who can be advertising to Facebook. And, and what we haven't talked about is the best part is you own your audience, and make a great living doing it. So I want to hear a little bit about your audience too, because I think that that's a huge thing. Well, I will say this. uh, I love my fans. You know, I mean, uh, I, and this is, I, 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 are you going to have Lydia on or is it uh, Naomi? Uh, Yeah. So I've got, I've got Lydia and uh, David, right? Lydia and David are. are, Right. uh I think so. Yep. So one thing uh, all the people I know of in Ambo do is we, really interact with our audience so like uh and and that takes up a considerable amount of time yeah it does Uh, i spend probably at least an hour a day answering emails Mm. um the bad ones and the good ones the bad ones are usually just you know i didn't get my set or whatever because they're blocks or whatever you know we the people are not used to the whole book funnel model because they're used to you know uh kindle but uh 
it's just a matter of educating them. And I've seen that over the years, as book funnel has grown and as people have gotten more used to it, that becomes less and less. And that's good. Yeah. But uh, there's also just the, uh, the, 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 you know, the things like uh, you better not kill the dog in this one, you know, little things like that. But by and large, I mean, like, and Steve's right. One bad comment. I don't know why, but it can bug me for months, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, because I think like on, uh, I think, getting to this month, I, on my Amazon reviews, I got one bad review, you know, out of, mm. you know, a yeah. thousand, I yeah, got yeah. one. And it just irked me. Because you, know, you, know you know who critiques me more than anybody else? I think I've had three bad critiques and they've all been from like dog trainers. Oh, wow. Oh, man. <laughs> so, they're like, I mean, that's the only thing that's like, dude, you don't even know what you're talking about. I dealt with dogs for 35 years. So I yeah. just get so frustrated. You know? <laughs> There's a saying in the dog uh, in the dog community, canine trainer community. It's if you have three canine trainers, the only thing two of them can agree on is the third one is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so it's like that. So I should just blow it off and not care at all. But you just can't. Steve says you know he doesn't even read his, but I do read mine because I mm-hmm. I want to interact with my audience. So my Facebook audience, I mean, I have a huge Facebook audience to come in and talk about yeah. myself all the time, and so I answer every single one of those unless I accidentally miss it. But I try to answer every single one of them. It's usually a short, quick answer, but I keep involved with them. And like you know, sometimes I'll get somebody who's older and they they have a very difficult time working the technology, which mm-hmm. I understand. And so I'll go in and I'll, you know, I'll have my wife help me and we'll, we'll walk them through it to help them yeah. because that's how we grow that community. Yep. And uh, my people are, are mostly the people who really love it. They love mysteries, but they also love the dogs and they love the perspective yeah. of the dog. In fact, one of my things is a little bit tough for a lot of my audience is my violence. I have no mm. cussing in my books. Yep. I have no filth, no vulgarity, no filth. And I have a very slight Christian message that goes through almost all of them. Mm-hmm. But what I what I do have a lot of is violence, a lot of action. Yeah. And it's partially because, you know, the guy is the, the dog and the, the handler. They're going against bad people, really bad people. So uh, violence is sometimes required, just like in police work. We we don't want to have to do violence. But yeah. it does come down to that sometimes. So that's an integral part. So that I do sometimes with the older, uh, with my older part of my crowd, sometimes it'll be a little tough for them. They're like, oh, you know, that, that part was a little, especially with the dogs. Yeah. And a lot of times they won't care at all if the human gets hurt. Uh-huh. If the dogs gets hurt, it's like, yeah. I almost cried. I cried. Why I did know. you to the dog? You know? <laughs> yeah. I completely so, but, understand. Even from a personal perspective, I don't know why this is. Um, and, and two, I, I grew up in the church. I'm not as involved at this point as I was. Um, sure. My audience knows a lot about my religious thoughts actually, but um, <laughs> yeah. it should be, it's part of you. It's yeah, good. it is. It is. And it's such yeah. a, it's such a struggle as a, as a bit of an aside, but it, there's a weird thing that happens for me so I can relate to your readers and, and possibly even to you in that, um, violence to animals really, really hurts me because I still view them as being uncorrupted in most ways. Like they're just functioning as designed. And so when right, a human exactly. takes action to hurt an animal, boy, it's, it's really tough to see yeah, that. There is intent there. Where's yes. the dog? It's kind of like, uh, Judy Shineland, Judge Judy. She always says, uh, we don't, we don't blame the dogs. Dog does what the dog does. That's exactly yes. right. A dog yeah. does what the dog does, whatever its drives and its integral makeup are. Yeah. That's what they do. But humans are a little different story. You're right. Mm-hmm. Because we have intent and that does make the difference. So yeah. I absolutely. Are you, are we brothers? <laughs> I know it's been funny. <laughs> that, like there are a couple of things along the way that I'm just like, this is, this is a fun conversation. There's a lot of uh, touch points for sure. 
<laughs> so, um, but I, I can't yeah, recommend the no. animal program more strongly for now. There, there's requirements Steve has, like, yes. uh, and and it's wise. That's why I had to really work through, and that's why I went to outlining because of feral instinct, so I could get that third book done. Yeah. So I would have enough for a bundle. Um, and I started with four because I put uh, Glenn, I mean, uh, Gun, Gunwood in there too. But, um, but it's you know a little bit different, but it's still in the same genre, so you can do that. <clears throat> and I, I think that that's um, his method of what he requires you to have mm-hmm. is what helps make it successful. So, uh, and that's for fiction books, of course. I know he's got a little different format for the uh, yeah. nonfiction, but but yep. for us fiction guys, you know that's where it's at. So, and sometimes you know if we ever get to talk again, you know uh, Steve's really looking into the. AI stuff right now. Yeah. It will cause some challenges for us, but it also gives us opportunities like, like all technology, right? Or all yep. future advancements. We have challenges because that yeah, could put us out of work, but yep. if we roll with the punches and we advance with the times, we can actually use it as an asset. Um, so like my son now incorporates uh, a lot of AI in our ads. He yes. does some of the pictures does some of the stuff like that you too yes absolutely i am every every picture i use now is generated through mid-journey i know that there are there are people have yeah issues but it's such a it's such an amazing program and the things that they can design like if you can think it you can create it and that's a really cool thing for people who don't have visual art skills uh mid-journey is a a, an amazing tool it's a great asset and and i don't have that now my daughter of course does but but i don't she wouldn't have time to do each of my ads because we have to put out a lot of ads you know yeah Yep. And now for us, uh, I, I'm a little bit different than a lot of the ammo people in that. And it was because I was technically ignorant and uh, maybe lazy. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I I never put out a ton of ads. I, I usually have like two or three ads going at a time. That's it. Yeah. And my son kind of keeps that as long as they're good and profitable. But we're probably mm-hmm. now with AI and with the ability. And, and on our last ammo meeting last Friday morning, Steve was really bringing this up that, you know, it, that we can generate, you know, five, 10 times the amount of ads we used to have yeah. by use, utilizing this, this in a more profitable way. I don't, I don't mean just profitable, but I mean profitable yeah. for our times. So I, I can see us using it way, way more. So I'm, I'm yeah. excited about it. I'm, there's always a little bit of danger, but still it's exciting. Yeah, I hear some people talking about, and then we will start to wrap up, but I hear some people talking about using it to generate their blurbs or uh, even their taglines. So I've toyed around with that a little bit. um, And I had one of my most successful ads was a tagline that I generated AI. So that was pretty cool. Um, But more often than not, if I generate some taglines, I go back in and massage them a little bit to just give them just what a little bit of what I'm looking for that maybe uh, (laughs) OpenAI can't figure out. But yeah, all in all, it's a it's an unbelievable time to be an author and to be scared that AI is going to write books that people love is kind of missing the point because you still have to get in front of your readers. Um, So uh, for everybody who doesn't get served one of your ads, what's the best way to buy a book from you right now if people are listening and then they don't get served an ad on Facebook? Right. And I I will also send you some of my texts I'd like to offer everybody in your uh, audience uh, my my $9.99 deal so they can get in and get a free book plus three others. So I'll send you that uh, right after we're done here. So. I don't know if you just want to put it up on text or whatever else. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they can go to uh, gordoncarrollbooks.com. That goes in my Shopify page, which is my landing page. Uh, um, and also, if they want to email me at gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N, D as in Douglas, carroll, C-A-R-R-O-L-L, at gmail.com. 
I answer all my emails. I don't leave anybody out. And uh, I'd be glad to, to talk to you or send you a free book so you can start it off and see if, see if you like it after that. Awesome. That's perfect. Yes, we will get all of that. That'll be in the show notes for the podcast. So if you're listening and you want to dive into Gordon's books, make sure to check the show notes for all of the links to his doorbuster deal and, and all of the good stuff. Gordon, it was an extreme pleasure to talk with you. I was looking forward to it. I'll, I'll admit I was a little bit nervous because Steve speaks so highly of you. You've had such success. You're one of the, the tremendous success stories of the program uh, and, and what can really happen for somebody who works really hard and apparently wastes six months before they start to work hard. So I mean... <laughs> That's, that's awesome. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you. Thank you for my my first uh, podcast. You made it incredibly easy. I felt totally at home and I really appreciate it. And I, I hope you the best success. Thanks. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?